I couldn't emotionally afford to get attached to people because my life had just been one being taken away and taken away. Like foster care really left an impression on me. Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we true the verse of Genesis 3.16, and we discover that God didn't curse Eve or Adam or limit woman in any way. This is Workshop Wednesday, and I'm Bruce C.E. Fleming, Executive Director of the True 316 Foundation. Our website is true316.com. That's T-R-U-316.com. And we're the home of the Eden Podcast. So on the Eden Podcast, we have theme days, and our theme today is workshops. And Mimi, we met, is our workshop leader. She coordinates a lot of those, and I'm going to ask her to do our introduction of our special guest. Love to, Bruce. Well, we have Debbie Seguin with us, who grew up in Peoria, Illinois. She moved to Texas, where she joined the Army in 1983 and has been there for 40 years. After her military service, she was able to finish her teaching degree and is an elementary librarian. In Texas, she also met her former husband and is the mother of three adult children. As Debbie sought answers to the chaos she was experiencing in her 30-year, quote, Christian marriage, she became educated on domestic abuse. For the last three years, she has been mentoring women of faith in Facebook groups and one-on-one who are caught in the same confusion. Debbie, you were one of our first workshop students when we started on the Book of Eden. So it's so great to reconnect with you and to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So howdy <laughs> to you. Hi. Thank you for uh, thank you for your service, Debbie. Yes, sir. What branch of the service were you in? I was in the army. In the army. So were you a spec four or what, what, what kind of things did you do? What I was, I was a spec four. I was mainly in the medical field, uh, pretty much long enough to realize that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> and I was able to use my GI bill when I got out. Uh, it was a really good experience. Very, you know, it, it gave me an opportunity to grow and sort of focus what I wanted my future to look like. Um, it really, really did give me a leg up. And you decided to stay down there where it's warm. I did. <laughs> I have never been a fan of the cold. And I lived in Illinois all, you know, growing all my growing up years. And uh, but when I got here, <laughs> it happened to be the first snowstorm in 20 years. Oh, and stepped off the airplane. That was back in the day where you still walked on the tarmac. So I stepped out of the airplane and there's palm trees and snow on the ground. And my first thought was. That recruiter lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's, it does get cold down there. Yeah. Well, we'd like to know a lot about you and, and share share your experiences, your stories. Let's start out with your faith story. How did you come to know Jesus and, and grow in him? Okay. Well, this is a I this is a beautiful story. Every time I hear someone's uh just their their witness story, um, it's just such a beautiful thing. It's such a personal thing. Um, I was born in 1962, and at the age of two, I did grow up in foster care. Um, at the age of six, I was sent to live in institutional care, and it was called the Children's Home in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, there were 20 other kids there, and I literally grew up in that institution. I um, 
stayed there until I was 13 and I aged out. And at that time I was adopted by a farm family and uh, finished my high school years um, with that farm family. So needless to say, I had not had a good experience with people. Um, although as an adult, I can see the many kindnesses from so many people along the way. I have vague memories of church as a small child. Um, most likely it was with some of the foster families that I was with. Um, but at the children's home, we did go to church every Sunday. It was the first church of the Nazarene. And I didn't know what a Nazarene was, but I thought that was pretty cool that it was the first, you know, as opposed to say 38th or the 23rd, huh. you know, for a kid, that's just how you think. So a big bus picked us up every Sunday morning and brought us back. And home kids pretty much always traveled in buses and vans. Uh, riding in a car was very, very rare because there's 20 of us. And I have a lot of funny stories related to the children's home, my life there. And I'm actually writing a book about that. And one of the chapters is about riding the bus. Um, and they had a goldfish Sunday and it's called God and Goldfish. And then another funny story about that church is called um, uh, Memory Verse, which is a very funny chapter. Uh, but anyway, so um, uh, one of the stories, though, that I do want to tell really quick is I remember this so clearly. Me and three other girls were on top of the radiator. And on top of the radiator uh, was a, you know, like a board that you could, and we all sat up there and we were looking out the window and we noticed that there was this boy at our home called Mark and he was getting in a car and we'd seen Mark get in a car before. And so we had a little conversation and one of the girls says, why does Mark get to ride in a car? We want to ride in a car. And one of the girls said, well, Mark rides in a car because he's Catholic. <laughs> they said it like Catholic. And, and I said, Catholic, what's a Catholic? And she said, I don't know, but I want to be Catholic too. So I can ride in a car. <laughs> That's good. That. Anyway, um, uh, my, my most overarching memory of my childhood God uh, is that he was sort of like the adults. Um, except he was way more important <laughs> and I needed to comply in order to please and appease him. That was my experience with adults. And so that was my experience with God. Um, he wasn't that interested in me. I mean, I'm just a home kid and I better mind my P's and Q's or else. I was really a compliant child, so that wasn't really hard to do, but it did still weigh on me. Uh, I was always wondering if I was in or if I was out with God and if that changed from day to day. Uh, another memory that's seared in my mind is Father Tim. He was a tall, lovely man with white hair, and he used to come to the children's home probably once a month. And you know those old film strip, um, film strip machines? So he would bring one of those. And I really remember clearly uh, the picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And, uh, you know, those film strips to go beep, beep. And then that one of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And it just looked so peaceful and inviting to me. And I remember distinctly thinking, I was probably seven years old. And I still remember thinking, I'd sure like to meet him one day. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It's beautiful and touching. So anyway, as a teen, I, um, I began to really search for Jesus. 
I'm not exactly sure why. I'm sorry. I don't know why that's, that's just really hitting me. Um, uh, but it was a strong pull and I couldn't ignore it. So I started going to Billy Graham, like not really crusades, but remember when he used to have the movies at the theaters? Sure. And I went to several of those and they always had an altar call. I went to every altar call <clears throat> and uh, and said the words, you know, but it's, I didn't feel anything. And I knew for myself, I needed to feel something. And, and I would pray for that. I'd say, Jesus, if you're real, you know, you know me and I need to feel something. And finally, one day I was just in my room. I was a senior in high school. This was January of 1980. And I was in my room, literally minding my own business. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just came upon me. I don't know how else to explain it. Uh, it was a little bit shocking, but I, I like knew exactly what it was. It wasn't scary shocking. And it was like a warm, wet blanket um, surrounding me. And I just, I felt two emotions, like back to back immediately. The first one was just extreme sorrow. And um, I was so sorry for having rejected Jesus all these years. And it was followed immediately by just the most beautiful peace I'd ever known. I, I call it liquid love because that's what it felt like. Um, it was just such a, such a poignant moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went downstairs and, you know, I was adopted at the time. And I went downstairs and talked to my mom and I was crying. And so, you know, she was all worried. What's the matter? What's the matter? I said, I'm not sure, but I think I just met Jesus. <laughs> mm. Anyway, that's kind of how I actually came to know him. Um, the rest of my spiritual journey had lots of ups and downs. You know, I was coming out of a lot of trauma. Um, I didn't have a lot of direction um, for personal reasons. I wasn't very close to my family, uh, my adoptive family. Um, but that is uh, where I met Jesus. And of course, he never let me go. No, he never did. And he, and he won't. I, I'm, in, I'm halfway through a, a Billy Graham movie I found on YouTube. <laughs> it's called The Ride. And yep. it's, it's about a home kid. And, uh, and I, I want to find out how it turns out. <laughs> I remember but, that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, and and how God draws us to Him and gives us assurance of our salvation. Yeah. And even if we don't feel it, it's the facts, not the feelings, that count. And uh, He died for us, and and we can be His children if we ask Him to. Yeah. So now, now when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and He We've got talents and we get training and we know how to polish our boots, but uh, you've got a spiritual story too. You started a spiritual ministry. You've used your spiritual gifts. Maybe you can tell us what you, what you have as spiritual gifts and, and uh, how you've, uh, how the Lord's even using you right now. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to sort of continue that, con that time continuum because it does connect. Please do. Uh, Please okay. Do. So, so then after high school, I just keep reminding people I'm coming out of trauma. I'm coming from an institutional care situation, which is very different than growing up in a home. And even though I'd lived with a family for four years, um, I was very ill prepared for that. And, uh, and it wasn't, I don't think it was really a very pleasant experience for me or for them because they were, they were dealing with 
a teenager with trauma that just, you know, didn't have the skills uh, to, to really function well in a, in an actual family. So we got through that. I mean, they were wonderful to me. It, it wasn't anything, anything like that, but um, I didn't make connections with them at that time. Um, there were, there just were a lot of trust things and I had learned along the way, you just, I couldn't emotionally afford to get attached to people because my life had just been one being taken away and taken away. Like foster care really left an impression on me. And even though, even though these people might've been loving, I mean, some of them I remember were, and some of them not so much. Uh, but even, even when you, when they're trying to love you, you're, there's an, there's just a constant IV drip of rejection uh, when you're when you're not with your parents and you're going from home, you know, family to family to family. And as a kid, you don't understand there's politics behind this and there's finances behind this and there's laws behind this. You don't understand all of that. The reasons why they're moving you from family to family. You don't get that. All you know is that this family must not want me. And so they're having to send me away. So lots and lots of rejection. Um, and so after my high school years and during my young, young adult years, I was pretty lost. I was saved, but I had no clue what that meant. I, I didn't know how to grow in the faith. I didn't know how to do any of that. I really just didn't have a, a mentor in my life. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but my childhood abuse had really taken a toll and I just didn't have an anchor. Um, I didn't have any childhood friends because I was too different and I was a home kid. Um, I just didn't have the same connections that a lot of people have. And now I'm grown up and I'm kind of blossoming and I'm starting to get a lot of attention from men. And I have no clue how to handle that because my entire skill set is please and appease. And um, I had no boundaries. I had no, I just didn't understand the concept of I have rights and needs and I get to express those and have those respected. That was completely foreign to me. Um, so, you know, that caused me, as you can imagine, uh, that, that caused me um, quite a bit of problems. Um, so on the inside, I, on the outside, I was a blossoming young woman. On the inside, I was a lonely, compliant kid who had to please everyone. And I just wasn't prepared for the onslaught. <laughs> I'll call it that with no skills. And um, I was attracted to men, but I was afraid of them at the same time. And that'll really mess you up. So college was the only place I felt smart. School was always my go-to. I felt smart at school. I had some good teachers that really came through for me. Um, so school was always my friend and a place where I, I feel like I flourished the most. Uh, so after the army, I went back to finish my degree. And while I was in the army and at Fort Sam, I uh, was invited to church uh, by a good, uh, by an army friend. I still remember his name, Mike. And uh, he, and uh, I went back to finish my degree, was invited to church. Yeah. So I recommitted my life to Jesus in 1985 at that church. I also met my then husband. I'll call him Bob. That is not his real name. And we married a scant nine months later. Uh, he seemed well put together. I He said all the right things. He read his Bible. He went to church. All of the things that you would look for. 
um, in a, in a spouse. And I just didn't know anything about red flags. I didn't know, you know, I'm coming into this with no skill set at all. Um, the church, unfortunately, was very patriarchal. And this was my first long-term church um, as, as an adult. And so this is really where I, I got all of my good Christian wife uh, training. And, and it did lead to very dire consequences for me and my children. And when you have a constant drip idea of headship and submission taught incorrectly and supported by the false idea that women messed it up for everyone in the garden by being deceived, uh, it emboldens disordered men to be abusive and it sets women up to be on the receiving end of abuse because of an inability to ever question her husband no matter what. So it's like a, a gag order that leaves her and her children incredibly vulnerable. Um, and that's exactly what happened to me. We were incredibly vulnerable to the whims uh, of this particular man. Um, but any man who calls himself a Christian husband is still being taught these incorrect uh, ideas about headship and submission. So uh, I didn't know anything about patriarchy. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> I didn't know what a red flag was. Um, this was my official training. And unfortunately, just like always before, I was a very good student. <laughs> so these ideas, I took them to heart and I studied and those tenets were sucked deep into my subconscious. So as my marital circumstances became just really untenable, and this was about year 22 and three children, an incident happened. I won't go into it, uh, but it was a very serious incident and it just kind of pushed me over the edge. And I started studying domestic abuse. Uh, I moved into another room multiple times. I moved out a couple of times. All the while, I'm having no plan at all to divorce. That just wasn't even in my conscience uh, because I had been taught and I believed uh, that God would be mad at me if I did that the only thing that's going to make God happy with me is if I stay in, in my marriage. But the more I learned about abuse and control and there's coercive tactics uh, that abusers use, and they're, they're, they're quite um, like any type of abusive situation. It doesn't matter if it's corporate to worker. It doesn't matter if it's friend to friend. It doesn't matter if it's parent to child or husband. Wife. It doesn't matter all of the tactics are the same. And the nice thing about learning them is you start to recognize them all around you in every relationship. There's nothing new under the sun. So the more I learned about it, the more I began to compare those behaviors to what I knew about God's character. And they just didn't, they didn't match up. Uh, it got so bad um, that I just knew this is not what God wanted for me or my children. But leaving was the hardest thing I'd ever done. Um, I, I lost everything, my home, my financial security, my friends and neighbors of 30 years. And you can imagine these are all really important things to me because I've never had those before in my life. Um, I left them all. And uh, the worst part, though, was the response of my church family. Uh, we'd been going there for years. And now looking back on it, I realized that as long as you're towing the line of what they think is the appropriate way and what the Bible says, then you're in. But the moment you seek help and start to um, ask for some support, 
and please somebody step in and, and protect us. Um, when you're not towing the line anymore, they, they will turn on you. And it was a vicious turning and shocked me more than the abuse did. My study leader, his wife, decades long church friends, it was just shocking. And I kept thinking, you know, they just don't understand what I'm saying or else they would never encourage me to stay. (laughs) But not only did they encourage me to stay in that toxic relationship, when I started making plans to leave, they used actual abuse tactics to keep me in the abuse. When I would no longer listen to my Bible study leader or his wife, the leader's wife actually sent a text to my abuser saying, and I quote, because I saw the text, (laughs) Debbie is not worth the time or space in response to, I guess, um, my husband asking her to speak to me again, because he knew that they were trying to get me to stay. Um, So it shocked me and I was frozen. I honestly don't know how I made it through that, Uh, but I came across many books that helped me, uh, particularly Leslie Vernick's books on abuse, Um, and a good friend of mine, um, she personally mentored me and helped me, uh, through the deepest of the confusion. I was in the mire after, uh, 30 years and finally some Facebook groups that rallied around me. I just, I felt validated and I finally felt not alone for the first time in, in many, many years. So as I grew in my knowledge and I was healing, I obviously became a very outspoken member of these groups. I've always been pretty articulate. I'm not afraid to speak in public. And those skills just kind of, wow, this is something I'm passionate about. And I see there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, unfortunately, of women and some men out there who are suffering these same, uh, basically, injustices because God's word is being uh, twisted and taught incorrectly. Is that, uh, is that when you came across True 316? Yeah, so I'm almost there. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I was asked to be an admin on two of the groups uh, to monitor and help. You know, the admin are looking at who's responding and what kind of advice are they giving and um, how are they coming across to the members? They want somebody who's articulate and safe and puts the members ahead of you know, anything. That's our number one priority. And um, so these women come there and they're trying to get validation. They're trying to get um, wise responses from those of us that have been there, done that. Uh, And we teach them how to survive, how to respond to abuse tactics and how to gain clarity. So I see it as giving back to organizations that helped me when I was lost Um, And I also have had several women who've been referred to me by word of mouth, and they have allowed me to mentor them one-on-one. So that kind of takes me to uh, when I came across Truth is 316. So my faith journey, my church experience, uh, at this point, I was not a fan of church. For two years after leaving, I was so angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at church people, anything that sounded remotely spiritual, especially Christian. And when I first moved to Dallas, um, I was suffering from CPTSD. I was starting a new job. I was living in a trailer. It was just beyond tough. Um, But I knew I needed help. So I looked up abuse support and I found one at a church. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm like, no way, uh-uh, not doing it. I didn't even know where the church was. But one day on my daily route to school or to work where I work, I look up and there it is, the church that actually has this. <laughs> and I just did an eye roll. I'm like, you are kidding me. And I was so astounded um, that I decided to pull into the park. I mean, because this is Dallas. This church could have been anywhere. And it's on my route to work. <laughs> That's so a big city. It's a big city. There's lots of churches. Yeah. So, you know, when you keep your, your story is interesting, but it sounds like all churches are all rotten. And I'm I'm thinking you're talking about some specific local churches that did some specific rotten things. And there are good churches out there. And so you found you found one. I did. Okay, so I pulled into the parking lot and I went inside and, you know, I'm coming in with an attitude because there, yeah. there's no way they're going to be able to get me to want to go to their church. Right. Yeah. But the reception I got, uh, one of the female pastors came out, she sat down with me and she talked with me off the street, somebody she didn't even know. She, t she let me talk for an hour. She said, what's your story? And then uh, this happened to be an egalitarian church. And I had just, I didn't even know what that word was, but a week before that, I had run across that term and was kind of looking at it and trying to figure out what that meant. And um, the first thing she said when she sat down is she said, um, just so you know, we're an egalitarian church. And it was just like, God had connected a couple of dots. I mean, the timeline was just really a miracle. And um, anyway, so it kind of built my trust a little bit and I decided, okay, so the class is at night. I think I can step foot in the church and take this class. Um, and I met my first Dallas friends there and, and several of them, we still remain uh, friends now. So of course it is absolutely not every church. I think there are a lot of churches that really don't know where their leadership stands on abuse and marriages. I think a lot of churches would be surprised um, that their leadership, even though they personally would never counsel a friend to stay in an abusive marriage, the leadership at their church would. So I recommend that people just have a sit down with their church leadership and find out exactly what it is. How are they approaching a woman with kids who, who is in dire need of some intervention? How are they approaching that? And just kind of seeing uh, where their church stands. So you're right. There are there are many, many good churches out there. I think because I work with the groups, um, it, it's like a funnel. And I talk to hundreds and hundreds of women whose churches were not safe. So that's why I'm bringing that up. Sure. Yeah. All right. What we're going to do, we have to bring it to an end here. We're, we're at the end of this of this time. Okay. We're, so, we're so glad you joined us for our workshops. We're so glad to see you on Facebook all the time. And uh, so glad you got you got the good help. We're going to put some links in there. I'd like you to recommend a couple for us. And we'll talk to Mimi afterwards. And then there's a couple I have in mind, too, where we do work with churches. Sometimes pastors just don't know. And there mm -hmm. are there are ministries out there that are reaching out to the churches and they're equipping them and they're giving these giving them the good tools on what to use. So thank yeah. you so much. We, we we maybe we'll do a part two with you someday, Debbie. This I want to hear okay. more, but we'll have to stop for now. So you've been listening to Debbie Seguin on the Eden Podcast. Thanks so much. True Three Sixteen Foundation is the home of the Eden Podcast. Join us for three dollars and sixteen cents a month or more. Let's chew the verses on the key passages on women and men. 
Go to true316.com slash partner.